You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the New York Yankees official podcast. There are times where you try to throw the ball away and you throw the ball in and it's the perfect pitch. It's harder to stay good than it is to get good. No one's afraid of a challenge. 99's not. I'm not. Rizzo's not. There's a little bit of like charge on the battlefield. Just run like straight at it. Give it everything you got. So that's... You can count on that's what we're going to do, to be honest. That's how we're built, and um, that's how we're going about our business. I want to win the World Series so bad. I think we have some work to do. Hello, hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the New York Yankees official podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me right now, we have our editor-in-chief, Al Sanasiri. Hello. And we have our executive editor, Nathan Makaborski. Honored to be here on this first episode, John. Thanks for having me. So here's the thing. If you're listening to this, I, I, I understand if you probably think this sounds a whole lot like the Yankees Magazine podcast. And to be honest, I don't think too much is going to change, but this is now the New York Yankees official podcast. And the biggest difference you are going to see is every single episode we do is going to have a exclusive, in-depth, really interesting interview with a Yankees player, a Yankees coach, a Yankees alum, a front office member, what have you. And guys, for the first episode, we are coming in hot because it is opening day. So why not get the opening day starter, Garrett Cole? Good get. Fantastic. Such a great interview and such an important part of this team. Couldn't be a better way to start off this relaunched podcast. Absolutely. I don't even think there's anything that we need to do to waste any time. Now, why don't we get to my interview with Garrett Cole? And after that, we'll discuss some things that you might see in the April Yankees magazine, which comes out on opening day. And of course, the New York Yankees yearbook, which also will be at opening day. But in the meantime, guys, let's take it to Garrett Cole. Joining me right now, we have Garrett Cole. Garrett, thank you so much for being here on the New York Yankees official podcast. Thanks, John. So, first thing I want to say is you know this better than anyone baseball season is so long. And sure, you know, you, you want to run so far ahead of the pack that every individual game maybe doesn't matter so much. But the reality is everyone's trying to. So what does opening day mean to you? And how much do you cherish hearing from Aaron that you're getting the ball on that day? I think it means a fresh start. It's kind of the beginning of my year, uh, my calendar year. It's a game filled with a lot of emotion and excitement and hope. Sometimes you're not quite as sharp as you'd like to be, but oftentimes neither is the other team. So it can go a lot of different ways. To be able to start it is 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 an honor, especially for this franchise, to be able to be together with the guys out there on the first game of the year is, is really special. You've done it in the past. You know what it's like. You also obviously know what it's like not to throw on opening day. Is there a sense that you don't get some of the pageantry when you're in game mode on that day? Yeah much like a playoff game, um, yeah. starting a series or 
or, or whatnot. Um, but you know, you're not immune to just the energy that's going on around you. So you now have the Yankees single season K record. Aaron has the Yankees single season home run record, the American league single season home run record. How much did it mean for you to share that with him to kind of go through that alongside him? Yeah, it was just a a special last few weeks, an incredible run to watch and, and, uh, thankful to be, you know, a part of it. It would have been, would have been great to be in the dugout, you know, not pitching, but to be in the lineup, um, it's just kind of another level. Just gives me a sense of just a deeper sense of connectedness to it. I think, you know, to be able to share it with him and, and, uh, be up close and personal as, as he made the rounds afterwards was, was, uh, you know, he's just so much fun to watch, whether he's playing or whether he's carrying himself off the field. I always wonder, I mean, this is like, this is a silly question, obviously, but Aaron Judge is, you know, a god in New York and everything like that. Is it ever strange to be like, oh yeah, that's my buddy from work, Aaron? <laughs> I mean, I've had, uh, I've had a few superhero type teammates before, but <laughs> nothing, nothing quite like Aaron. I mean, he just kind of fits the bill all over the place. So yeah, I mean, he's just such a, uh, he is just a you know magnifying energy like uh, when you when people know that you know him or or you know they want to ask about the Yankees they often ask about Aaron obviously you know talking about that strikeout record you, you, your folks raised you a Yankees fan whatever what do you think it means to your dad to your to your parents that you're talked about with Ron Guidry? oh man it's got to be wild <laughs> um and gave him uh, the ball that tied Ron I felt like that was um that probably was more meaningful to them than 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 breaking the record just to you know, to be to have the ball that you know was 248 and and Ron had 248 and he probably watched Ron get 248 and he watched me get 248 so he was probably very proud and um just maybe maybe just I don't know it's got to be wild for him I can try to think about my kid accomplishing something great and how I would feel and very proud and and um so I'm I'm glad that he felt that way and it, it made him happy. We've spoken about some of this stuff a lot in the past. You, you're so smart about all this stuff, and you know part of the process, as you've explained to me before, is you try to cut out all of the things that don't help you. And I remember earlier this spring you were talking and you mentioned how this is your first normal spring training. You know, there's no pandemic shutdown, there's no social distancing, and one of the things you said is you don't have to spend brain power learning names and how to get to the ballpark. So obviously you have a process and I'm wondering, and I, and I don't mean this in a obnoxious way. And I, I'm, do you have fun? Like where, where does the fun fit in with this stuff? It's a, it's actually a really good question. I think the fun is kind of in the devil in the details. The fun is certainly sharing moments with your teammates in the hotels at the, at the restaurants, in the clubhouses, on the bus, on the bird, it's pretty great. You know, it's pretty fun and pretty great to be a Yankee. But I, I do think that, yeah, honestly, like I, I need to – I'm trying to add a little bit more fun into the game, not take the game, you know, sometimes quite as seriously uh, in the sense that, you know, I, I don't I don't want to overthink or not, you know, let some of the positive emotions come out um, and then have that negatively affect performance. I think there's – not that you don't take anything less seriously, but – there's a sweet spot of uh, of the zone of the performance where, you know, you have complete control over your emotions, whether they're good or whether they're bad. And there's just a moment of like, you know, when you're really, really present and you're really in the moment and you're really making those pitches, you know, you're able to experience 
these different emotions while controlling them at the same time. So even though I'm not smiling on the mound, maybe quite as much as Nestor, although Nestor, Nestor pushes me to smile a little bit more on the mound. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm smiling inside. I just, I try to just not give the opponent any edge. So that's why oftentimes I come off a bit serious and I take my work seriously as well. But there are obviously, there are definitely some opportunities to have a, a bit, a bit more fun while, while playing out there for sure. To be honest. Yeah, no, for sure. What do you do away from the field for fun? I mean, my kids. Yep. Um, I love to cook. Southern California guy, so you know, I like to get in the water, play golf, spend time with friends. A lot of time during the off season is is connecting back with people that you know I haven't seen in eight months. And during the season, it, most of my time is hanging out with the guys um, in and around the field and and experiencing all the fun things that New York has to offer, from theater to food to the arts and taking my kid around to explore those things too and, and all the great things that New York and, and, and the country. I'm, I'm excited to take him to Ellis Island and Empire State Building and the Statue of Liberty. And, and it's cool because he has a connection to New York already as a two-and-a-half-year-old. He, 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 he loves it. And um, it's something that I never experienced and we thought it would be awesome. So, you know, he's soaking it all up, and, and that's a lot of fun for me to, to watch him do that. I think, I hope, you know, I assume – we're past the point of people thinking about athletes as dumb jocks. I think people realize at this point that how, how much goes into it mentally. I wonder, uh, even just now, the way you talk about all this stuff, what kind of student were you growing up? I was a good student. My GPA was was pretty high. I mean, it wasn't I wasn't taking AP classes or advanced um, biology or chemistry or statistics or anything like that, trying to grab college credits early. My parents maybe didn't love that approach out of me. Um, for one reason or another, I maybe just didn't put as much effort into my school as I did into baseball, kind of like extra credit, but I put enough in there to set myself up to, you know, pretty much try to get into any college that, you know, along with my baseball skills would allow me, although, you know, I, I couldn't get into Stanford. I didn't, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't on, on that level academically to get into Stanford, but, um, and UCLA was, was, was really challenging, especially, you know, balancing the workload and, but I was a pretty good student and I plan on finishing. I mean, you know, there's a lot of players talk about the void after playing uh, and the break in routine and whatnot. And, you know, my kids are going to be in school. And at that point, probably all of all of class will be online. Um, th- there's probably a good opportunity to spend another, you know, 12 to 16 months or whatever I need to do to finish up the credits to, uh, you know, drive up to L.A. once once a quarter and take a final and do everything else kind of at the house. So that's kind of my plan. I do enjoy school. And I do think that, you know, the farther away I get from school, the more effort sometimes I wish I put into school. Like I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not disappointed by any means, but I could have done a little better. I think that's everybody though. Every time I read a book that I was supposed to read in college or in high school, I wonder, man, this book's great. Why didn't I read this then when right? I could actually discuss it? You yeah, know? Exactly. But, exactly. And you pick up some sort of life lesson that you were too immature to exactly. pick up back then. You told me in the past, and, and you speak about this a lot, you try to map out the game in a sense, the day before. Um, I'm wondering how specific that is. I mean, is that literally, are you saying to yourself, like, okay, I'm going to put a runner on base here and, and picture this situation. I'm facing Bo Bichette, uh, you know, for the second time in the fourth inning and, you know, there's a runner on second, or, or is it just more generalities and things like that? In terms of a specific game plan, my objective is to be able to retain the identity of the hitter for the game and then... I try not to get too specific with how I really 
would like to approach. I think conceptually we talk about, you know, kind of a progression for the first, second, and third at bat, but we don't try to lock ourselves in because you don't know what kind of stuff you're going to have that day and trying to force a hand or being overcommitted and not being able to see the field and kind of pigeonhole you a little bit. Yeah. But at the same time, there are predictable situations, both with, you know, where you put yourself in visualization routine where you're you're practicing executing perfectly and how you're going to go about that and also putting yourself in, in challenging situations or predictable distractions or things like that that you you may or may not try to get out in front of and, and anticipate you know what your next move is going to be you know your example just recently it's like well at some point uh even if it's an even if i'm throwing a really good game you know, toronto or boston or whoever is going to pressure me you know, so I put myself in those positions and, and, and visualize myself trying to have success and how less about like what exact pitches I'm going to throw and more about how I'm going to handle myself to be able to bring out the best possible pitch in those situations. I'm always so fascinated with pitch choice and also sequencing and, and stuff like that. And, you know, a lot of times you'll watch a game and you'll hear an announcer, even if it's a former pitch or whatever, you know, talking like, don't get beat on your third best pitch in the situation and all that stuff. Inherently, that makes sense. But Sometimes the third best pitch is the right pitch at the moment, uh, you know. And, and I wonder, you can blow five fastballs by Shohei Otani, and that can be your best pitch in that situation. But if he hits the sixth over the fence, you know, it wasn't your best pitch in that moment. So, how do you stay ahead of something like that mentally? Because obviously, I mean, the hitters are thinking too. You're not the only one out there thinking. You and your catcher. That's what I was just going to say. Is that you know, this is this is a team game. So we're looking for positive contributions from all over the place, not just the pitcher, but the catcher and the pitchy coach and, you know, any other, any other things that any of the guys can pick up, whether it be, you know, part of the umpire zone or if the center fielder or the shortstop or somebody has an opinion on a swing read or on how somebody's going. And that kind of communication happens during the game. Sometimes it happens in between the games and pregame and whatnot. It's really not just about one person, you know, in terms of figuring it out. I think we never really get a true handle on it. It'd be great if you could. It'd be great if you could, but I mean, every single every single guy that I've ever come across that has been great still learns things every time they watch the game, still acknowledges that like you, you never really have the game figured out. And I think it's because of the variables that you just laid out beforehand. I mean, the third best could pitch could be the right pitch at that time. You know, but the other, you know, the devil on the other shoulder is saying, don't get beat with your third best pitch, you know? Um, it's, it's those type of dilemmas that are forever... Uh, will forever continue in this game and 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 partly what you know creates the narrative of a game and creates some of the best games or memorable games that we love to watch and, and re-watch over and over again it's those decisions i think that fascinate us you make it sound like this game is very hard garrett i don't know it is extremely hard <laughs> it's harder to stay good than it is to get good too so you're always this is one of my favorite things about you. you're so honest about your outings in a lot of ways you know you'll mention man i got away with a bad pitch there i didn't execute whatever and you're a big league pitcher. There's plenty of times you're going to execute a perfect pitch and it's going to be hit 500 feet. That's just the way it goes. Yeah. Can you just chalk that up to good process being more important than short-term results? Are you able to be okay with that? I think that sometimes, I think just, you know, especially like right after the game, it's just, you know, it's just hard to really turn off that perfectionism or that competitive edge, you know, where you're just – you know, you're still on, you're still on the marathon a little bit. Like you just ran the race and, and it is very vivid. I try to give credit where credit is due. I also try to acknowledge, you know, the ebbs and flows of, 
of things, you know, there's, there's luck involved and there is things that are uncontrollable, you know, and I just try to acknowledge sometimes, sometimes that those things are, those things are at play and those things are, there's, there's, there's sometimes there's nothing, you know, there's nothing I can do about a guy bringing out his best swing. You know, there's nothing that I can do. I mean, I can try to sequence and I can increase the probability that he is not going to put a good swing on whatever pitch, but I can't control that. So yeah, there's that process and there's how do I consistently evaluate a good outing and a poor outing and be able to gain something from it from an objective standpoint. So there are mistakes and sometimes I get away with them. And honestly, sometimes I'm a little too hard on myself and not giving myself enough credit for some of those mistakes, you know, because some of those mistakes end up not being mistakes and they end up being useful pitches. For example, if you're trying to locate a fastball down and away to a right-handed batter and you miss cross court up, you know, you're fighting the instinct immediately to be like, darn, I have a mechanical breakdown. I didn't execute the pitch the way I wanted to execute. At the same time, you've got to get past that because- how that hitter reacted to that specific pitch, whether it was a swing, whether it was a take, how the body language changed, where his posture was when the ball came across the plate, all those sorts of things you need to be able to take advantage of right away. And there are times where you try to throw the ball away and you throw the ball in and it's the perfect pitch. You try to throw the ball in and you try to throw, and you throw the ball away and it's the perfect pitch. And I often am trying to be less frustrated sometimes in those situations of the non-executed pitch and make sure I'm taking in the information that the game is giving me, whether I've been fortunate or not fortunate. We're no, nobody's going to be perfect. Uh, how do you take advantage of kind of the gray area or the wishy-washy, the mistakes that everybody makes? How do you use those things to your advantage? A lot of people, I'll, I'll include myself here, I have two kids. It makes my life harder in a lot of ways. I mean, young kids, it's wonderful and everything like that. I wonder, as I listen to you talk about this stuff and as I listen to how you know, much you process all this stuff. I feel like I wonder, it must help you to have two little kids at home that just don't care about baseball and don't care about well, where your pitch went. They, they definitely care about baseball, but they, you know, my son, uh, look, he's, he's a brilliant kid, but he's still two and a half. So <laughs> if somebody's hitting a home run off me, he really doesn't care. It's a home run. So sometimes I'll, you know, I gave up, I gave up quite a lot of them, 33 last year. And, and, and a good amount of times I came home after those <laughs> 33 home runs that I've given up, he'll be like, Hey, nice home run, dad. And I'm like, yeah, well, I, I served that up, dude. Like I didn't, I didn't necessarily want that to happen, but I'm glad you like the swing. Next time I see that player, I'll tell him you like the swing. No, I'm just, but there is, they do love baseball. Um, well, my other son's only like 12 weeks old, but my, my Caden loves baseball and, um, but he loves his dad more than baseball. And so, yeah, it is a great distraction. It is a great motivator. When I leave this game, there will be obviously things that my son can look up on baseball reference and Google and whatever, but there will be people and, and things that he reads or, or places he will go where, there will be another level of like evaluation because somebody knows me personally or has watched me work. And, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm setting, you know, the best example I can for him in each one of those things, because I, you know, I didn't grow up with a famous dad or in the limelight or things like that, but it's just so important to take that type of process all the time. 
when I think about him, there's a, like a level of account- accountability that comes with, I'm trying to be a great teammate today. I'm trying to prepare myself today. I want to make sure that, you know, if I have an opportunity to impact a teammate or make him better, that I'm doing that because, you know, when I'm coaching my son or I want to hold my son accountable, I want to make sure that he's doing the same things. And in order to do that, you know, I have to live by that example. It's kind of the similar thing with, you know, why, why ultimately I think I'll go back to school, you know, also because I'm wildly competitive and I just can't have my wife have the only degree in the house, you know, <laughs> like I gotta, <laughs> I gotta put up, you Fair know, so. I, I, I never noticed how competitive you were, Garrett, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, everything, everyone's different. Everyone does this their own way. Do you ever wonder whether it's in the bullpen or maybe in a weird moment in a game, like, man, I wonder what Nestor would do here. I wonder if I could do that. I ask myself that all the time. <laughs> Not when I'm playing, but when I'm watching him, when I'm watching Seve. I mean, I got a lot better in Houston doing that right away. I have Charlie Morton doing one thing. I got Ver doing another thing. I got Dallas Keuchel with the wrong hand doing another thing. And there's something to be learned from each one of those things that is applicable to my game from a strategy standpoint, from a movement standpoint, from a preparation standpoint. And so I find myself as a curious person, just in general, being super curious about how other guys have success and how I can learn from it and how I can make myself better. And if there's anything I can do to make them better, I want to put myself in that position as well. Opening day, we got seven months in front of us, whatever it is. I know you talk about mapping out, you know, the game, everything like that. Do you have an expectation for the season? Do you have a, do you set a goal for the season other than a parade uh, sometime in November? I mean, do, do you let yourself say, I need to do this, 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 this season? Ultimately, I want to be the best I can be. And there are some metrics, I think, that represent, you know, how well I've executed those principles and, and, and those things. And, and so it's a bit of both. It's like, well, if I keep my delivery in a good spot, then I'm probably going to stay pretty healthy for the year. So you'll see a lot of innings. And if I'm really healthy and I'm really efficient, I may lead the league in innings. So it's not like I'm like, I have to lead the league in innings, but it's like, I'm going to stay diligent on my preparation and I'm going to stay on top of, you know, X, Y, and Z to put me in the best position to squeeze the most out of what I got this year in that regard. And that just goes not just for innings, but for performance and, uh, you know, other things in terms of like, you know, being, being accountable, being a good teammate and things like that. So I have kind of like ideas of how I want to improve across the board. And then there are, there are things that I evaluate from, from an analytic or a metric standpoint that may represent those kinds of things. And then there's just stuff that I write in my journal and things that my wife and my teammates and my friends and myself hold myself accountable. And sometimes they don't match up metrically. Sometimes there are games where the line doesn't match up for good or for bad with how well you executed what you were supposed to do that day pitched or played or whatever. I want to win the World Series so bad. I think we have some work to do. It is the number one goal for all of us here, yet we have to remain positive about it. We can't get like bogged down with the idea that, you know, every loss is a failure or every time we don't achieve the results, it means that the process isn't working. And 
you know, when you set your goals and your expectations high, that balance as you go along that journey is tough. But on this team and in this city, it's worth it. And it's hard and it's worth it. So by any stretch, it's not going to be easy. And winning the World Series is is our goal. You know, but we got to pour into every day and take it one day at a time and make sure that we're focusing on the things that allow us to accumulate ultimately those results at the end of the year. We're not chasing the results. We're chasing our process. And if our process is good, the results are going to come. So... Well, I seem to remember you saying uh, at your introductory press conference that pressure is a privilege. So uh, I think uh, let's see what happens seven months from now, but it uh, seems like the right way to start it. Hey, we got some work to do, but like we're optimistic. And I think we all understand that we do need to get better, but no one's afraid of a challenge. 99's not. I'm not. Rizzo's not. There's a little bit of like charge on the battlefield. Just run like straight at it. Give it everything you got. So that's... You can count on that's what we're going to do, to be honest. That's how we're built, and um, that's how we're going about our business. Garrett Cole, thank you so much for joining us on the New York Yankees official podcast. This is fun. Thanks, Sean. All right. This is Nick Swisher, and you're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Carlos Radon. You're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. Welcome back to the New York Yankees official podcast. I don't know, just listening to that made me excited for the game, made me exciting to watch Garrett's season. Uh, I think I, I, I hope this isn't rude when I say that I thought it was just a, largely because of him, not because of me. It was a great interview and it, you know, you really, I think, got a sense of what makes this guy so fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I, I could listen to Garrett go on talk forever, pretty much. I mean, it's very, very fascinating to hear the way his mind works, and uh, you know, just one of the best pitchers in the game when it, when he's willing to you know open up and share uh, like he was there. Uh, pretty awesome. I think that the thing that's so interesting with him is just it's so black and white in the sense that he either does the interview, goes all in, gives you everything he has in his brain, or he's not doing it. But obviously. We've all had the opportunity to sit down with him, uh, you you know, doing it m- most recently. And he just, you know, he's, he's not just going through the motions. He's really giving you an interesting perspective, almost like he's he's one of our writers. I feel like that's almost almost like someone who's getting paid to do it. It's it's absolutely Can't incredible. Can one of our writers? That'd be amazing. <laughs> sure. You really love that when you ask a question of an athlete or any interview subject and you have no idea what they're going to say. And um 
you know, he's kind of like that. Like you, you have no idea. You know, you're going to get something interesting, uh, but it could go off in any sort of direction. Well, well, I mean, here's the thing. Like, and Nate, we were talking about this yesterday. I kind of, you know, at one point nodded maybe a little bit in the direction of his kids. And of course, you know, I have my prepared stuff that I want to get to some bullet points. And I was very cognizant when I'm asking, you know, a major league ace pitcher about his kids that I could have gotten just like a very quick, yeah, you know, everything's good, whatever. And instead he starts talking to me about everything that like they say when he gets home at night and, you know, the way they love baseball. And so I just kind of pushed that as far as I possibly could because I thought that was stuff that I'd never gotten from him before. But I do think that this is a good place to transition to the story that I was able to write about him for the April magazine. And one thing that I get into a lot in that story is, you know, you know, the, the story is generally about, obviously, the strikeout record and the connections between him and Ron Guidry. But the big thing is that there are just two Garrett Coles. There's the Garrett Cole four days a week, and there's the Garrett Cole on start days. And, and they couldn't be more different. And it was funny, Nate, because yesterday, again, when we were talking, you mentioned a story that you're considering doing for the May issue. And, and you made a passing mention to, to maybe being able to get a photo of some kind of him interacting with someone you know, before opening day. And I was just kind of laughing, like the chances of Garrett Cole interacting with anybody on a start day is so laughably ridiculous that, that never in a million years. But the flip side to that is, and this, you know, I mentioned in the story, obviously how charming and funny he is. One thing I'll say, maybe I shouldn't say this. I don't know if, you know, this is on the record or off, but when, when I brought him into the room to do that interview, uh, we did it in Tampa. We were doing it in, a room off the ticket office at GMS Field. So we walk into the room, and right away he asks me if there's any water. And I, I'm not familiar with this room, so I'm kind of looking around for a water cooler. And sure enough, he walks into the ticket office, and there's you know six people in there. And he just walks in, it's like, "Hey guys, what do you all do?" And he starts like just chatting them up and everything like that. And again, awesome. that that's who he is, and he's always chatting everyone up like that. And he's always, I don't know if it's an act. I don't think it is. It seems genuine. It, he he just seems like a genuinely interesting, per, interested person, I should say. Mm-hmm. And then yet on the day he starts, he just seems like the most intimidating, the most just oppressively, almost mean, you know, just unpleasant in a sense person. You never want to get near him. And hey, man, it works. I think it's, you know, there's a cliche that's overused, of course, like every cliche is, you know, old school. He's old school. But, you know, having done this now for a couple decades, he reminds me of a lot of guys I saw early in my career, whether it was Roger Clemens, whether it was Andy Pettit, those two guys kind of stick out. Greatest guys to be around, to interview, whatever. Um, But they needed that focus to do what they did on the day that they pitched. And, you know, it's different for a pitcher because everything that they accomplish over a five-day period happens on one day. They don't have that second day. Um, I, I just think there's a lot of similarities there. I love the focus. I love the, just the dogged determination that he had. And I, and I think that he plays the part well. I thought about some, you know, the other day, um, when I was listening to the interview, I was thinking about him, you know, when he pitched for the Houston Astros in the world series and he didn't get that one opportunity at the end of, uh, I don't know if it was game six or game seven or whatever it was. And I just think about, the look on his face and the determination he had and think about, man, what a mistake they made there. Cause it's hard to imagine somebody that good and that determined wouldn't have come through. And obviously that's a microcosm, but he's got that same look every time he's on the mound, whether it's in spring training, whether it's in the middle of the season and what a year he had last year that you detailed 
to get back to the story that you wrote, John, there's so much great stuff in there from Ron Guidry. And, uh, you know, I thought it was funny how he basically said, you know, as soon as the Yankees signed Garrett Cole, he kind of knew that that <laughs> strikeout record was going to fall sooner <laughs> rather than later. And, uh, and, and sure enough, it did, you know, that sort of, um, curiosity that you alluded to when he walked into the ticket office. I mean, it seems so ever present in anything that he's interested in. And that has really boded well for him in terms of being a pitcher. I mean, he's just always, always looking to improve and always looking to for for ways to to get better. And, uh, you know, you see the results and you saw what he did last year setting the new Yankee single season strikeout record. And, you know, I expect it to fall again. I think he's going to beat his own record here one of these days. And that, and that's the thing. And again, this is something he mentioned in the interview that we did, because I asked him, as you heard, you know, about what goal, if he sets goals and things like that. And, and I think his, his the way he views his game and the way he views his life is just, I know what I can accomplish. It's a matter of if I stay healthy. Like if I'm healthy, that means that I'm efficient. And if I'm efficient, that means I'm getting strikeouts. And, and that's just... It seems simple, you know. I mean, again, we, we've spent a lot of time on this podcast and in this magazine talking about the Yankees hitting philosophy, you know, hit strikes hard. Well, that sounds really simple, except it's super complex. There are so many layers there. And I think that's the thing you see with Garrett, too, that he can talk about this stuff. And it's just in, in his mind, it's as simple as if I'm pitching a lot of innings, that means I'm efficient. And if I'm efficient, that means I'm striking a lot of guys out. And therefore, that means we're successful. And it's just, you know, it, it's very linear in that regard. But you mentioned the Gidry stuff, and in the story, I kind of very briefly hit on what I found to be the funniest part of the two conversations, because Gidry was just going on and on about, man, why does he keep asking me about my slider? I don't understand. He has a good slider. Why does he, you know, why is he only asking me about that? Whatever. And then the next day, kind of in a scrum, after he pitched a, a spring training start, I asked Garrett, like, hey, uh, weird question. Ron Gidry wants to know why you keep asking him about his slider. Um <laughs> And the story can only be so many words. So I just used the part where he said, I don't know, he's got a good slider. But in reality, it was like a, a four minute answer where he was literally explaining, you know, well, because it can be an outpitch, because it can be this, because I want to know how you sequence it, all these things. And, and he gave, like, on the one hand, a joking answer, like, I don't know, man, it's a good slider. But at the same time, it was just, well, here's why I keep asking about a slider, because there's just so much to learn about this one pitch. And you can look at it. There is not that much stuff, I think, that Ron Guidry can teach Garrett Cole about baseball in 2023. I think it's a very different sport than what he was playing, and I think Garrett pitches less, but at the same time, he strikes out way more batters and all that stuff. But man, you know, Garrett's just a guy who realizes this guy's got knowledge. This guy's got insight, and I want to I wanna just figure it out. I think what he does so well is, obviously, we marvel at his ability to throw the ball 100 miles an hour and do all the things that he does, and, and that yields strikeouts, clearly. But just the, the way that he works on his craft outside of doing what is mandatory and what he has to do is something I just admire so much, and I, I think you alluded to that as well just now. You know, that's just taking that extra step, using a resource that's there. I, I, I'd be curious as to how many great players or good players or average players maybe in any sport don't take advantage of those things. If, if there's a way to improve, he will find it and he will do it. And a lot of that is cerebral. It's not just building more muscle. Yeah, and another really cool aspect of this whole story about Garrett Cole breaking the single season strikeout record and Ron Guidry being around for it and, and being, you know, a guy who he can have these types of conversations with is that, you know, Garrett grew up a Yankees fan. Like he knew who Ron Guidry was and, and holds him in a, a, a high regard and has for a long time. 
Um, so, John, I love how in this story, you know, you kind of draw the connection between, you know, there's really only been three pitchers in Yankees history to hold that title of the single season strikeout record holder. You know, Jack Chesbro said it all the way back when they were still the Highlanders first starting Literally out. pitched the first game in Yankees history, in Highlanders history. So right, right. So when Guidry broke it in 78, Jack Chesbro was obviously long gone by then. So, you know, Guidry didn't have that opportunity to receive a phone call from the guy whose record he broke and have a conversation with him at spring training the next year. That wasn't an option. But uh, Garrett Cole, you know, doing it now when he did and having, you know, such appreciation for Yankees history was was able to do all those things. I think the record, the timing of him breaking the record is actually perfect. And, and I'll, I'll kind of piggyback off what you said, Nathan. I think what's neat about it is that he can meet the person whose record he broke. He can be mentored by that person. He can see that person, our photographer, Ari Hecht could take a picture of the two of them together, which we, of course, ran in the story and is so special. All that stuff, really, really neat. But you know what's kind of neat about it, too? It's not a record that was set last year. I think the fact that it's great that these two guys can connect. But the other thing that's so cool about it is that it was set 44 years ago in 1978. So if it was something that was set last year, and then Garrett broke it this year. I don't think we'd have that same appreciation for it. It's the perfect amount of time. These two guys could connect, but over 44 years, you get to realize how special that record was. It's it's perfect. And not unlike, with all due respect, a little bit of a bigger record, you know, Aaron Judge breaking a record. Again, he's obviously not able to be with Roger Maris, but it's not something where it's broken every year. Uh, certainly, in these times where there's not any controversy surrounding it, it's not broken every year. It's something that took decades and decades and decades to break. And that in and of itself also is is very special. And I want to take nothing away from Roger Maris Jr. when I say this. I thought it was wonderful that he was there as Aaron Judge was chasing this record. But how much different is it for Garrett Cole to be on the phone with Ron Guidry that night compared to... Yeah, it was special for Aaron to get to hug Roger Maris Jr., but, you know, Roger Maris Jr. didn't hit any uh, 62 home, 61 no. home runs in the major leagues. I mean, it, it, that's not a knock on anything. It's no. Just, it's a different experience, and I think that what I was trying to explain in the story is that we generally do think of, because like you said, usually you say records are meant to be broken, usually records don't hold for that long, and we kind of think of these things as being handed down, and the difference in the experience for Ron Guidry, who... You know, Jack Chesbro, it's not like back then you could go to baseball reference and look up all of his things and find out, you know, box scores from games he played or anything like that. You know, what was Jack Chesbro to Ron Guidry? Now compare right. that, Nate, like you said, Cole was a Yankees fan. Guidry's always around. Mm -hmm. Guidry called him the night it happened. Yeah. And again, the night it happened, which also kind of happened to be a <laughs> somewhat overshadowed by Aaron Judge. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, imagine that. Imagine the difference in those two experiences. And I have to say, if I can talk about one bummer of the reporting process from here, I think I have a generally decent rapport with Aaron Judge, and he's a funny guy, and I think uh, he, he knows how to make a good joke. But I asked him, you know, did you feel bad about totally overshadowing Garrett's uh, achievements there? And I think he thought I was serious when I was asking it, and he gave me this answer like, no. Nah. And I'm just like, oh my God, I'm like, Dude, I'm I'm not serious. I you, promise. Yeah, you, you kind of you may have missed the mark there, John. <laughs> well, you know, one uh, one record that Gator still does hold is the single game strikeout record in Yankees mm. history. So, 
uh, he can hang out his hat on that for a while. I don't know. What do you guys think? Will we will we see that one fall as well? I don't know how it can fall in, in the way the game is today. And, and, and I don't think, I mean, look, we all saw Garrett Cole nearly like literally a bite a limb off Aaron Boone's body when he came to try to get him in that game in uh, Houston. Even with that said, it's not like Garrett Cole, I think himself is necessarily willing to throw 135 pitches or whatever it would take to get that level of strikeouts in, in this day's game. I, I just don't know how it can happen. I'll take a different perspective there, John. I think that I remember a game a couple years ago where Michael Pineda struck out 16. And I remember every detail of it, but I believe I was in the press box. Probably. I think it was Mother's Day. It was Mother's Day. It was Day, Mother's right? Day. And I don't know. I think I was sitting next to one of you two guys, and I'm sorry. I don't remember which one it was. But what I remember about it was how quickly he got to, like, nine. And I don't think it was three innings, but it was, like, four innings or five innings or something. It may have been four. And, you know, just like that, you're at nine. And it's like, okay, well, you're halfway there. That's the way Garrett Cole can do it. And there are a lot of games where he'll have five and two innings, you know, or, you know, seven and three innings or something like that. And the pace is so furious in the beginning that you don't have to throw 135 pitches. You just have to strike out, you know, one or two batters for a couple more innings and it it can happen. I hear what you're saying. And I'll say two things here. Pedata in that game, 111 pitches, 16 batters. So, you know, there is obviously a lot of truth to what you're saying. That's that's a very efficient number. I'm going to stand by what I said, though, because Guidry, it was 142, and I don't remember this. I don't have this from memory. I'm looking this up right now. But 142, I don't think Garrett Cole wants to throw 142 pitches. And he probably shouldn't. Right. And and I think where I'm saying is, and and again, this is something I get into in the story, one thing that he – efficiency doesn't just mean striking people out, although it is an efficient out because there's nothing that can go wrong on a striker necessarily. You don't have to field it. But – I don't want to say this in the way people talk about Jack Morris or anything like that because I don't think that's what Cole does. But but Garrett does pitch to the situation a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think Garrett Cole is actually pretty happy to get a pop out to second base on the sure. first pitch when there's no one on base. When you when you look at his strikeouts, you know, a, a real, real significant number of them come with guys on. And so if you're talking about it like that, I just don't see a way that, you know, a guy like Garrett gets his way to 18 because – I, I just honestly think that he would try to use his fielders a little bit more in that. But me, I, I, look, I mean, the answer is obviously who knows. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to make a wager on our favorite foods. Uh, and when it happens, either I'll owe you dinner or you'll owe me dinner, and, and we'll have fun doing it. You're not going to make me give you odds on Garrett Cole not striking out 18? <laughs> <laughs> It'll just be between now and the end of his career. Do I have to throw in like chips with a burrito? <laughs> no, no, that's okay. That's all right. John, this, this story was awesome. Um, it's called A Man for All Time. Uh, I, I'm... Glad that it appears in both the April issue and the yearbook. You know, I thought it was important that this story goes in the yearbook because it, you know, just ties in so much Yankees history. And uh, it's a big record. You know, what what Garrett accomplished last year. I mean, like you said, it definitely was overshadowed a bit by what Judge did. But um, it's a, you know, it's a pretty special record to have. And um, Yankees fans coming to the ballpark this year, they're going to pick up, you know, whether it's on opening day, picking up the magazine or or picking up the yearbook throughout the year, they're going to. Uh, look through this and see some great pictures and it just really puts the whole uh, accomplishment into perspective so you did an awesome job on this well said and and very true well thank you guys and and I think it is important though before we you know close out this first episode of the New York Yankees official podcast Nate you were our representative at the printer as the April magazine and the yearbook came off the presses and uh, I I think it's no surprise to a lot of fans who are going to be coming to the ballpark this year but this month between April Magazine and the yearbook, 
pretty heavy on Aaron Judge content. This is going to be his first month as Yankees captain on field. I, th- I was wondering if you might tell us a little bit about what is in these issues and what people are going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, well, um, you know, with the April issue, obviously we always want to just tap into the excitement surrounding the start of a new season. And, uh, you know, what's more exciting than having a new captain? You know, we haven't had one since Derek Jeter retired back in 2014. So I really like the way that the April cover sort of represents uh, turning the page on on last year and, you know, looking ahead to this year. But still, you know, that's our leader. He's the leader of the pack. So we got a really um, special kind of photo essay that's actually, you know, it's the cover story, which we don't often do. But uh, we felt it was appropriate to... Uh, put together a, a really cool photo essay about the captains in Yankees history. Aaron Judge is the 16th, so you'll find uh, photos of all 16 of them there in that that first story. You know, some of the other things that we felt was important to highlight as we get the 2023 season underway was, uh, of course, celebrating the 100th anniversary of Yankee Stadium opening up. Um, April 18th will mark 100 years exactly since that first game. Uh, in the house that Ruth built. Um, So we have a story in both the April magazine and the yearbook about that. And yeah, I mean, just everything else to to get you ready to go for the the season. You know, we got full roster pages, scorecard, poster, all the stuff that you can expect from Yankees magazine and a a yearbook that I think starting with the cover and a really special photo of Aaron Judge out in Monument Park where he's uh, standing right next to Roger Maris's plaque actually uh, touching it yeah uh just really really special stuff that whether you're a collector or just uh getting into the yankees stuff that you're really going to want to have for your your collection i think that's what's so special about these two covers together one is a true celebration of you know one of the more storied accomplishments in the history of sports in what aaron judge did last year and the other is the same guy celebrating his future so it's almost in a lot of ways symbolic of this crowning achievement and other achievements that can come. The yearbook cover is incredibly near and dear to me because it's the yearbook and every yearbook cover is is so special and every yearbook is so special as a person who grew up loving the Yankees and now worked here my entire adult life pretty much. Um, what was so special about that is just the memory that I have of being out there with you guys, with our photographer, and with Aaron, seeing the reverence that he had being out in Monument Park, where he hadn't been in years since he was, a, I think, a minor league player, and being, you know, at the, you know, the place in history where Roger Maris is celebrated in Yankee Stadium, you know, that impromptu moment where he he reaches out and touches the plaque that Ari obviously captured was just that impromptu and something that. Um, you know, he, he wanted to do, um, you know, my story in the yearbook ends with a quote that I got there where he's talking about not how cold it was that day. Cause it really was cold, but that he would have had the chills, whether it was cold or hot or anywhere in between, because he was out there and, and actually seeing this celebration of Roger Maris, someone whose family he got to know someone who o- almost without knowing because obviously you know roger had passed away so many years before uh he almost got to know through this process and it's really special so so that's the backstory on the the cover do you want to provide any of the uh backstory on the bio page that's inside on our our uh, (laughs) young shortstop because i know you know talking about tapping into the excitement about the start of a new season there's a lot of excitement about 
Anthony Volpe. And, um, you know, it was there was a decision to be made whether whether he was going into that yearbook or not. And sure enough, we made the decision to go ahead and and uh, put that in there. So 2023 is the uh, the first official Yankees yearbook with a bio page for Anthony Volpe. Special thing and something that could become even more special. Yeah, I mean, to to kind of give a, a little bit of the backstory, I don't know if I should give too much away. You know, as editors of Yankees publications and myself as executive director of the department, uh, don't have enough autonomy to, to choose who goes in the yearbook, and rightfully so. That comes from our don't baseball Don't have enough autonomy to choose who goes on the roster as well, but that's just, you know, <laughs> you know semantics. <laughs> Fair enough. We have the best general manager in baseball who makes those decisions, and Brian Cashman. But what we, you know, kind of uh, the rules we proceed by, I guess, is anyone who's on the 40-man gets a bio in the yearbook, and that's just how it works. And Anthony Volpe, when we printed the yearbook, was not on the 40-man roster. Uh, that, that came later. Our chief operating officer, Lon Trost, uh, was quick to kind of advocate that an exception be made. And I know you reached out to Brian and, and uh, his staff, and uh, and that was a quick decision, an easy decision. Clearly, I think Brian knew something we didn't know at that point, maybe, or at least knew there was a chance of there being something that we didn't know, <laughs> one or the other. But boy, it's a it's a really cool thing to have him in. And I just think it, it could be something that's uh, even more historic when time goes by here. Yeah, hopefully there'll be a uh, an Anthony Volpe bio page in the Yankees yearbook for many years to come. Absolutely. I think that's the goal. Guys, I, I feel like this is a good place to leave it. Obviously, it's opening day, so people need to get into the ballpark already. We've, we've kept them long enough. But I, I know, I, I think I speak for both of you. I think that now that we are the New York Yankees official podcast, I guess that means I speak for the entire New York Yankees organization <laughs> when I say happy baseball season to everybody. Couldn't be more excited for what the next six, seven months hold. And I hope that we are recording a live episode in November from a parade float somewhere in uh, the Canyon of Heroes. But until then, Al, Nate, what a pleasure. Let's do this a lot more times this year. Absolutely. Sounds great. Hi, this is Kyle Higashioka. Thank you for listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe at yankees.com slash podcast or at the podcast app of your choice and tell your friends. The New York Yankees official podcast is a production of the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. It's produced by me, John Schwartz, with assistance from the entire team at Yankees Magazine, as well as incredible support from the New York Yankees Media Relations Department, in particular Jason Zillow, Michael Margolis, and Caitlin Brennan. Thanks also to our awesome social media team, Ryan Callahan, Julia Shore, and Alex King. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or at yankees.com slash podcasts. Leave us a review, leave us a rating. You can even send us your thoughts over email, podcasts at yankees.com. For more information about the stories we discussed today, visit yankees.com slash magazine, where you can read all of our long-form content. If you'd like to subscribe to Yankees Magazine or purchase individual copies of the magazine, yearbook, media guide, or anything else, please visit yankees.com slash publications or call us at 800 go yanks of course you can also stay up to date on everything happening here at the stadium by following us on twitter at yanks magazine or by liking us on facebook at yankees magazine that's it see you next time and go yanks